You are listening to the Hybrid Cloud Forecast Series with host Andre Tost. Hi, hi everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Hybrid Cloud Podcast. Today's guest is Vincent Su. Vincent is an IBM fellow and he's also the CTO of IBM Storage. So I guess that gives away what we're going to be talking about today. Thanks a lot for joining, Vincent. Hey, thank you, Andre. This is good. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. All right. We always start out with introductions. So if you could tell us a little bit about your background, your professional history, kind of how did you get to the position that you have today and what are you working on? Okay. I'm uh, IBM Fellows and CTO for Storage. I've been in storage for over 30 years. And originally I come from Taiwan and I went to University of Arizona and I first joined IBM Tucson as storage divisions. And to be honest with you at the time, I never really studied anything in the computer science department about anything about storage. My graduate studies on the VRSI design, but storage sounds like a very interesting topic at the times. Storage have so many interesting problems to solve that I feel like after 30 years, there are still more problems need to be solved. I have been working on storage for my entire 30 years in IBM with different type of storage, the big one, the small one, the storage software, the mainframe storage, the distributed storage, the file systems and the backup softwares and you know different type of storage. I spend a lot of time to talk to customers to understand their pain point of storage. Turn out that, you know, a lot of problem that people try to address, they might not appreciate those are storage problems. Later on, we realized that, oh, actually, you guys are, you know, those are not the compute problem. Those are not network problems. Those are not even workload problems. What you have is the storage problems. And I also do a lot of collaboration with research. We have been working with a client, a lot of sort of future storage directions, not just from the media. It's also how do we develop the better story for, for example, the new applications, the AIs, and the recent one is how do we safeguard your data from ransomware intrusions, cyber attack, you know, after 30 years, I found out there are more problems that need to be solved in storage than they were already solved. All right. You already touched on a few points that I want to dig into a little deeper. Before we do that, you know, obviously the, the title of this podcast being hybrid cloud. And so another thing I often do is ask the guest about their definition or kind of the elevator speech about what is hybrid cloud, and then we'll get to you know, how much storage plays a part in that. Yeah, so from my point of view, the hybrid cloud is the hybrid infrastructures all the way from the edge, far edge, to the enterprise data center, core data center, private cloud, to the multiple public clouds. And that's why my definition, when I see the hybrid cloud, I look at from the very far end, very wide spectrum from the edge to the public cloud, hyperscaler as well. Okay, so for storage, obviously location plays a big role in the context of hybrid cloud as in where is that storage? I often catch myself thinking when we start talking about cloud and cloud native architectures and applications, the assumption is they're infinitely scalable, they're portable, they can be burst into different places. And all of that though falls apart relatively quickly once you add statefulness and data to the equation. And a lot of these cloud native architectures then seem to imply that, oh yeah, this is all stateless. And I'm thinking, well, stateless is easy, but as soon as you add this notion of transactions and you need data consistency and so forth, and you need to do things like backup and restore, it becomes much more tricky, especially in the case of cloud, 
because there are sometimes rules attached to where that data is allowed to be. And so we end up a lot of times when we're having cloud-related discussions, we talk a lot about storage and where the data lives. Is that what you see as well in your interactions with customers? Absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> I, I actually think that most of the people say they, they solve the hypercloud problem. They actually did not because they may be able to port the application from the public cloud to their enterprise data centers, but they really have not addressed the data problem, especially for those stateful applications, which is a lot of the mission critical or the stateful applications. You know, often people solve those problems by, okay, well, this is very easy. Let's say that I have an application running on-prems. I want to move this application from on-prem to the cloud. Then I just move there and I just make a copy over there. Well, if you are a single person in the company, you can move those things easy and you can keep track of where things are. But once you have thousands and thousands of developers, everybody have to dynamically move things around, you know, just blindly make a copy and then move somewhere else. Not only it's a very inefficient way that you basically create multiple copies of the same data. The bigger problem is how do you keep them consistent? I have met a customer, it's very interesting. This is in a Europe research lab. He told me a secret that all this data, we really, we really have a hard time to recreate it because we use a spreadsheet to keep track of the data replica and where are they. And, uh, you know, as you know, that is a very manual way to process those. So it's really hard for them to truly understand the data governance in the hypercal context. So those things doesn't really scale. And we haven't even talked about the idea that you need to have a multiple application in multiple locations, maybe be able to share data. For example, I'm a public cloud, I collect a bunch of data. Now I'm allowing the people in many other environments, in other clouds or other private clouds, on-prem enterprise data center, be able to share my data. Well, how do I make sure that the data is shared efficiently and securely? And those are problems that mostly not addressed. This is the area that, you know, it's a, it's a big problem. And a lot of time people say, well, okay, to walk around this problem, how about I just move all the data to one public cloud? Well, so far, I have not seen any large companies successfully do that. Five years ago, when I talked to a lot of customers, they told me that, well, our strategy is cloud. We're going to move all my data, all the operations to cloud. Five years later, right now, they barely done 10% because it is not easy to move all applications you know, from one place to the other. I'm hearing a lot of the same where I feel like it's a bit of a pendulum where it started out where customers were saying, we're going to move everything to one cloud and one cloud only, and that's where our new IT environments are going to live. And then they realize that there's a number of reasons why sometimes they can't do that, and they end up with multiple public clouds even. And so most of the customers that I talk to are saying, yes, we're a multi-cloud, we're a hybrid, and we have things living in all kinds of places, and we need to find clever ways to connect all of them. And like I said, that usually then goes straight into a conversation about where does your data live and how do we get it back and forth? There's also a cost factor to this in terms of the rule of thumb is like moving code is easy, moving data is expensive, or moving code is cheap, but moving data is expensive. That's why a lot of companies don't want to do it. Also, there's security issues and there's the compliance issues. There are a lot of time that even you want to move data, even you can afford it, but you are not allowed to. California has some regulation on the wireless information. You cannot just we need to move it. And so when the business become more connected, when we look at the attribute data, the customer data, all this need to get factored into the 
hybrid cloud data platform, if you will, the storage platform, if you will. And that is the tough problems. And that's why I say that when most of people say that they have a hybrid cloud platforms, mostly they leave this problem to somebody else to address it. Yeah, I feel like there's factors that probably get underestimated sometimes when people think of data and storage as one at least virtual platform. And one thing is that there's the laws of physics, right? A conversation that I've been in a lot around this work that I did on CloudPax is that customers want to deploy it with a high degree of availability, sometimes continuous availability, which means you need to have multiple locations, sometimes multiple data centers, or say multiple regions in a cloud. It doesn't really matter. And the idea that all the data is shared and replicated and available instantly in all of these places, which is when you start having a discussion about latency and how quickly you can actually get the data replicated, especially synchronously. And storage is not a static. Storage in itself, the technology is evolving very fast. We have all kinds of different media from the very high performance, very low latency, like storage class memory, phase changing memory technology, to solid state drives, to different NANs uh, flash technology, to spinning disk, to tape, and all this technology at play here. So when you talk about uh, storage platforms, and those things are really hard for people to appreciate, to figure out how do we manage them uh, efficiently. And making things worse, those things never break. The hard drive will fail eventually, and then the flash will wear out. So eventually, those things are going to break, and you need to make sure that you don't lose data those events happen. So are you saying that there's customers still using tape drives? Uh, tape, I want to tell you, is a big deal right now. It's a very, very big deal. In fact, recently, we talked to our chairman about the significant commitments on tape technology and use cases. Why is that? Because all this hypercloud, all this super hyperscaler, everybody wants to keep the data forever. And they are collecting more and more data, exercise daily. Where are they going to put it? And they didn't charge you anything. For example, you go to a Gmail, they didn't charge you anything. You put stuff on YouTube, they don't charge you anything. So not all the data are hot data. They need to save the data for a long period of time. They can you know, fit their economy uh, envelope. Well, how do you do that? Well, right now, if you keep all the data on the spinning drives, that just the power consumption itself, you know, once you have enough data, you know, excess by excess by over data, you're causing a climate change by saving all these videos at home. So tape is come back as a big way in the hyperscalers. In fact, we have a lot of new innovation in the tape area to support hyperscaler use cases. I have to admit, I did not realize that. I do think there is a bit of this problem of data just piling up and you never go back to clean it up. I feel like even in my own personal case, I have an iPhone and just like everyone else, I take lots of photos when I'm on vacation and and videos and so forth. When it comes time to get a new iPhone, I always need more storage because it's full and at least half of the storage I've used is a waste, but I don't have the time and energy to go back and clean it all up. And to some degree, as silly as it may sound, I could imagine that a lot of corporations work the same way. You talk about the, the big data generation for all the smart devices, all the drones, all the smart cars, they're collecting all these terabytes of data, where they're going to put it? They have to put it somewhere. Let's talk about AI, for example. You cannot just collect data in that sort of way. In the past, maybe you can do that. Okay, after you've done the analysis, create a new model, sort of way. Well, in the future, actually, the future is now, 
that you might have to preserve those data because someday you might have to prove where do you derive those model from those credible data set for liability reasons. And, you know, I understand personal use wise, you probably most of people's individual data volume probably not big enough to use tape. But even in an enterprise, many of them does not warrant use tape. But hyperscaler, big public clouds, CSP, MSV, we are seeing a huge uptick of the tape adoptions in the recent years. I guess it makes sense based on what you described. Another thing I wanted to touch on a little bit, for many years, what I took away from storage announcements was always that we can put more data on a smaller device with a smaller physical footprint. And I meant to ask you, is that still happening? Are we still getting ever denser, more higher capacity kinds of physical storage devices? IBM is still pushing their technologies in a fundamental technology like tape. And the industry is still pushing for the density of the NAND from single level cell, double level cell, triple level cell, and then now it's the QLC, so quadruple bits in the single cells. Because the data just keep growing. As you say, in your Andre, in your personal experience, people just don't delete data. So now it's a very common practice to talk about the compression technologies uh, and the deduplication technology. Let's say that your family using the IBM storage to store your video and you and your family might store the same images, but those data can be deduplicated in the storage system. So we just need to keep one copy because we know actually had the same content. So we continue to develop those technology to reduce the storage footprint. It's sort of interesting that we are the storage guys and we try to reduce the storage consumptions. And by the way, that's exactly what we are doing. But let me take a sort of sharp turn here. But that maybe have an interesting implication with the securities. So as you know, once data is encrypted, it's much harder for you to do compression or deduplication. Once you encrypted the data is, is a sort of scrambles and they look different when you do compression and deduplication. By the way, today, pretty much all the good storage, if you will, support the encryption as for data at rest. Basically, you write data to storage the data will be encrypted on the drive level. But that in itself is no longer sufficient in this business. Everybody looking for the higher level encryption so they can do end-to-end -end encryption so they have a better data protection. The problem is if the data is encrypted at the host server level, for example, then the storage guy can no longer do data reductions, right? We can no longer do compression deduplication. Actually, I have one customer that they work with security teams, turn on the encryption, and then overnight, storage requirement go up like 5x. Because before that, they were enjoying the 5 to 1 data reductions, but once they turn on the host based encryption, the storage can no longer do that. So this is the new challenge that needs to be solved. How do we accommodate these two requirements? The data need to be deduplicated and compressed to satisfy the data efficiency. We also need a higher level encryption available so we can support end-to-end -end data security. This is a pretty interesting problem to solve. Yeah, and it relates to a point that I was going to get to is that these days I feel like everything becomes more and more what we call software-defined. So we have software-defined storage, we have software-defined networking, we have software and everything. And like I mentioned earlier, I've done a lot of work on CloudPacks where we work in a Kubernetes environment. That's containers where you have abstractions of storage in the form of what we call a persistent volume, which is a software thing 
And so then I would assume, obviously, there is a mapping into the physical work, but you just mentioned an example for more and more of the things that maybe you used to do at the physical level are now being solved at the software level because the abstractions just go up that way. All right. And this week, I attend DPU, the Deposit Unit. There's a conference that hosts by Intel and Red Hat, something called OPI, Open Programming Infrastructures. DPU is a new processor unit. We have a CPU and we have a GPU. Now there's a new terminology called DPU. They're processing unit specifically designed for processing data and infrastructures. And uh, in the conversation, Meta or Facebook parent company talking about the biggest challenges. Their assertion is in the future, unless we solve the storage problem, we are going to hit the giant brick wall with AI because large scale AI is using too much power, literally will cause the climate change, you know, have too much data flowing back and forth. We need to make storage to be more intelligent to solve those AI problems. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I could imagine that's a topic that we didn't really have, say, 10 years ago, that now electric consumption plays a role and is something to be considered when designing systems. It's just the data volume is too big. In the past, the people have training model, uh, machine learning model, thousands of parameters. Now you look forward with the transformer, those are like billions of the parameters. So those things are just a lot more complicated. Let's say I got to search some information in the hard drives. I can go through every single file to find the information, or I can somehow talk to some intelligent engines They only give me the file that I'm interested in that have this particular characteristic. This is an example of smarter storage play in AI and hybrid cloud. For example, that when I try to do the AI, the old way to do is just ingest all the data in one location. Let me build a model for all the data I collected. Well, what if the data volume is too big? Let's say that we have all the smart car running around the street. Every day they can collect two terabytes of data. If you want to transfer the two terabytes of data over the wireless network, that in itself is very expensive. So maybe the right way to do it is distributed learning to send out the operations, if you will, to every single individual endpoint. And every individual endpoint will basically run the learnings on the data locally and basically send the result back and we can aggregate the result. And as you earlier saying that, you know, shipping the application is easier, is a much lower cost than shipping the data around. That makes sense. I think in general, I think of it as a big problem with machine learning is indeed the, the training of the model because it requires data. So that's always the first point is before you can take advantage of a machine learning model, you have to create it to begin with and you need to train it on some relevant data and that data needs to be available to start with. I mean, I can tell you about a problem that we have. It's not related to data volume, but to this whole notion of availability and disaster recovery, for example, is that in the world of Kubernetes, we're using this idea of a persistent volume, which is a logical software-defined thing. And now we're trying to take backups, for example, and we need this notion of a consistency group. We need to say there's various volumes at play and they need to be backed up as a group. So you basically need to take a snapshot across a large number of individual volumes. And one of the questions is, can we map that down to the physical storage or do we solve that in software? And if so, how? Because right now there is no support for consistency groups for Kubernetes volumes. Yeah, those are very important topics. I mean, if you just take snapshot individual volume and the group of volume being used by application, 
the single volume consistency is meaningless. I need the whole volume to be in a particular state so I can recover. And you know, it depends on the recovery. I have talked to customer. It's very common we have customer implement two side solution. The data get replicated between two sides. It's also very common implement in three side solution. Actually, in Europe, there's a regulation that the bank cannot open unless you have a two copy of data all available. So at minimal, you need three sides. And I've been working with a customer in the, in Asia. You know, it's very common to have four side solutions. Basically, you have a in the, the edge of the city of the two copy of data. And the long distance have another two copies of data in case the regional disaster happens, like you know, typhoons or earthquake, they can continue the operation. People just cannot afford that business is impacted, whatever the situation, either floods or natural disasters, things like that. So all this volume need to be captured in the consistent fashion. Then on top of that, there are various different types of storage media that you should consider, from storage class memory all the way to tape. And there's a distance that you need to think about it. And then we have the data assets. How do you make data consistent? How do I make sure that the file you are seeing, the file I'm seeing, they are consistent? How do I make them efficient? How do I make them secure? That's why I said early on that the more I am in storage business, the more I feel that there are problems that has not been solved. You mentioned distance. You would think that in this day and age, we wouldn't need that conversation anymore, but Whenever we talk to customers about a disaster recovery solution and they're saying we have two data centers or say three data centers, the first question we always ask is how far apart are they? Because it matters. And we see that, especially in smaller countries, sometimes they're, they're very close to each other, often in the same what we call metro, on different sides of the same city, so to speak. But especially, say, in North America, they could be long distances between data centers and that influences any kind of solution and topology we could come up with in a big way. Yeah, because so far we, nobody can get over the beta light limitations. Right. So, you know, that has a direct impact on your latency. And, you know, again, if you only have one application, a couple of transactions, it doesn't matter. But once you have thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people using the operations, it all adds up and those are serious problems that need to be addressed. Okay, we're slowly coming to an end here, but I don't want to let you go without asking if you can give us an example of something really cool and exciting you're currently working on. I think you've already mentioned a couple of those, so maybe it'll just be a repeat, but I'm just wondering what gets you going in the morning, what gets you really excited and you can't wait to get to work. Yeah, there are a lot of exciting projects. Let me tell you a couple. One area that we are working on is the ransomware solutions. As you know, that ransomware is a every company mind. And if you talk to people, one of the biggest problem with ransomware attack is the time to recover your data. I have customers, it takes a month to recover data. A good example would be, I watched a YouTube documentary just last week with an example of a company that where all of the data was encrypted and a mid-sized company, a lot of intellectual property. And they said there was 10 years of our work was, was vanished from one day to the next. And Yep. What they decided to do is they decided not to pay. They decided to use their backups and they basically shut down their business for an entire month. And everybody who could do anything with IT was locked into a room for a month and they manually recovered every piece of data that they had. And they were successful, but they said it brought the company to the brink of extinction because they couldn't operate anymore from one day to the next. So the, the project I'm working on right now, there are multiple elements here. Number one is from a system perspective, how do we 
build the next generation of storage system in zero trust. So we need to make sure that the system is robust. The second one is all the hybrid cloud key management and crypto agilities. Let's say that I have a crypto algorithm and I need to change the new one because in the past, the simple algorithm may take your computer 100 years to crack it. But with a quantum computer, it only takes 100 seconds. So maybe you need to have a stronger algorithm. So how do you do that? Then the next one is the data classification. Once you know your data in the storage has a particular attribute, maybe you need to do a detection, maskings, you need to do a lot of stuff to make sure your data is secure. The last one is if everything fails, if these things happen, how do we guarantee your recovery is fast? Can we guarantee that our backup copy is golden? And do we know which one is golden copy that we can recover very fast? And how do we accelerate this recovery process? That's one major project I'm very excited about. Every time I talk to customer, everybody's interested in those topics. The second one, yesterday I talked to a, a team. We are talking about get IBM back to space. This is the ultimate edge cloud, hyper cloud scenario. Basically, the data will be collected in the International Space Station. And then the data will be shared between the multiple public clouds on Earth. And how do we create this global data fabric to allow scientists to be able to process data at edge location, which is the International Space Station, and also for us on Earth, come back with a better model and better findings. So those are very exciting projects. I am excited. They told me that, you know, many, many years ago, IBM has about 4,000 people working on a space program. We want to get back to there. So much more opportunity there to be explored because the volume of data, when they talk about those space telescope, the data volume they collect is phenomenal, is significant. Yeah, that's actually interesting. I have to admit, I hadn't thought of this space as an extreme form of edge computing, but that's basically what it is, right? First of all, you cannot expect the IT specialists in the space station that know the compute network storage. And how do you make your storage consumable? You need to raise the bar to the next level. Those things need to be self-sufficient. You need to be able to self-diagnostic and be able to simply to consumer manage. And the next one is once the data is collected and processed, how do you create using the satellite? How do you create those truly global data fabric when we talk about this? And that's very exciting projects. Yeah, I could add another example, by the way, and I've said it on previous episodes. My son is a PhD candidate in particle physics, and so he works with particle colliders. And I think they have this problem, too, is that they generate more data than they know what to do with, <laughs> to put it in short form. Well, my son is an intern in the astronomy department. He, he's a computer science, and he's working on processing the black hole images. And they were talking about all this data and how do they use a different ML algorithm. So someday they may be able to solve the mystery of Big Bang. I'm glad he's focused on that particular problem. It's exciting. All right. I think we'll wrap it up with that. This was a, a very interesting discussion. It has made me think about a lot of things that I hadn't had in my, in my mind before. So uh, thanks a lot for coming today. Okay. Well, use more IBM tape. You're going to love it. <laughs> there you go. If there's one takeaway from this discussion, tape is cool. I did not realize that. All right. With that, we'll wrap it up. I want to thank everyone for listening and hope to see you all soon again. Thank you. Bye-bye.